0: This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we'll finish up the story of Yvain, a knight of the Round Table turned lord turned crazy naked man wandering the forest. For those of you that love precisely way too much action, this show's for you. He'll fight an army, a dragon, giants, demons, three knights, and his best friend. We'll then learn that true love means tricking your spouse into taking you back against her will. In the Creature of the Week segment, we'll meet a friendly bathroom cleaner who just so happens to be insanely creepy, and who's also probably watching you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 1C, The Lion Knight Rises. Welcome to the podcast, where each week I tell stories from myths, legends, fairy tales, and folklore from cultures all around the world. Here's where we are. Yvain took off to avenge his cousin, who was knocked off his horse by a black knight. He avenged his cousin, and then some, by mortally wounding the knight and chasing him back to his castle. He learns that the knight was the lord of the castle, and he avoids capture by help of Lunette, a servant of the knight's widow. Through Lunette's manipulation and, frankly, poor plotting of the part of the storyteller, Yvain woos the widow and marries her, becoming lord of the castle. Less than two weeks after being married, he makes a deal with the lady that he's going to go adventuring, but will be back in less than one year, or he'll lose her love forever. He completely forgets to return, and one of the lady's messengers finds him, telling him not to come back. He snaps, goes crazy, and runs off to live in the forest. So Yvain's life at this point is using a bow and arrow to kill animals, who he jumps and tears apart with his teeth, drinking water out of streams, and living naked in the woods. A hermit lives nearby and lays out some moldy bread for him, but cowers in fear whenever Yvain comes by. This goes on for a short time, probably a month or two, before he's discovered. The British Isles are too small for a man like Yvain to disappear, no matter how deep he chooses to sink. He's sleeping, still naked, out by a road, and a wealthy lady is passing by with her attendants. And, like most well-dressed aristocrats traveling alone through the wilderness, she gets super close to the smelly, nude man sleeping in the woods, and sees a heretofore unmentioned scar on his face. From the scar, she realizes that this is the legendary knight, Yvain, and sees an opportunity for her people. Her people have been under attack from a rival count, and Yvain, the most accomplished and most virtuous knight in the world, her words, would end the war. She told this to the lady she served, and her lady agreed. Her lady pulled out a box of ointment that Morgan Le Fay, King Arthur's sister, had given her. It was extremely valuable, could heal anyone of any madness. Because it was so valuable, the lady told her servant to only put a little bit on Yvain's temples and forehead, because his brain was where his madness was. She should absolutely not use more than a few dabs. Back in the forest, the servant decided to hedge her bets and completely ignore her master's orders. She dumped the entire box in Yvain, rubbed his head vigorously, and then quickly rode off, leaving a robe by him. Yvain, who didn't wake up when the servant was massaging the ointment vigorously into his scalp. He sprung to his feet and snatched up the robe, clothing himself. He waved her down as she was riding by, and she did the honorable thing, according to the story's writers, and pretended like she had never seen him before, sparing him some much-deserved shame. It was said that he had no idea what he was doing out in the forest, and the servant told him that, Wow, she is an extra horse, and hey, since you are just waking up in the woods, you should come stay with us in our castle for two weeks. He agrees, and they ride off, not before the servant casually tosses the box that was filled with the healing ointment into the river. It was pretty risky, she'll tell her master later. She almost fell in and almost lost her life, so it's really a blessing that only the ointment was lost. This is all just a ruse to cover up that she used all of it on Yvain, instead of just a few dabs here and there. Her lady was livid, but smiled when she found out that Yvain would be staying for two weeks, because in two weeks' time, they knew the count would be there with his army. Two weeks later, Yvain had shaved, showered, armored up, and was ready to hit the road. He was still feeling bad about the whole thing with his wife, but was focused more on just leaving at the moment. He looked outside to black smoke filling the sky. The Count's knights were there in mass, burning and pillaging the town. Yvain knows what he needs to do, and, according to the writer, unhorses four knights before anyone can even count as high. The ladies' knights are inspired by Yvain, and he alone turns the tide of battle. The Count flees until Yvain traps him and makes him surrender to the Lady of the Castle. The Lady, for her part, wants him to accept her as his wife, or mistress, because I guess she's not picky. But he doesn't even respond. He says he wishes he could stay, but remembering what drove him to naked madness, the worst type of madness, he rides off wordlessly in the direction of his wife. traveling through a forest, he hears a horrific cry and chases after it. He rides into a very deep part of the forest and finds, of all things, a dragon holding a lion by the tail and burning his butt with fire breath. It's here that I realize I'm not fit to be a knight. My first and only inclination would be to get as far away from the spectacle as quickly as possible and let the lion and dragon hash out their difficulties themselves. Yvain, however, is a knight and decides to side with the lion, because the dragon is so full of wickedness. He approaches with his shield out to block the dragon's fire breath, and when he got close to it, he bashed the dragon in the face, somehow avoiding the lion. He jumped atop the dragon and drove his sword deep into its back. It died, but he kept hacking and hacking until it was in tiny pieces. He was breathing heavily, exhausted, when he remembered the lion. He jumped back and raised his smoldering shield, ready for a fight but found it, and I quote, standing on its hind paws, bowing its head, joining its forepaws, and extending them towards Yvain in an act of total submission, and that it knelt down its whole face, bathed in tears of humility. Yvain immediately recognized that the lion was thanking him and submitting to him for saving his life. He wiped the poisonous dragon blood from his sword and sheathed it. In a couple weeks, in the saga of the Volsungs, a Hero gets the power to understand the speech of birds after he drinks dragon blood. But I guess English dragon blood isn't as magical. <music> Yvain saunters off, feeling pretty good about himself and realizing the lion was following him. He decides to let it happen, and thus he becomes the knight of the lion. As it turns out, getting involved in this fight was the best possible thing Yvain could have done, because his lion will save his life in the next three fights, no joke. For two weeks, they wandered the countryside, camping out at night, and the lion bringing back food for Yvain. And at the end of the fortnight, they rode up to the clearing with the fountain that started it all. Yvain couldn't handle it and collapsed in sorrow. For an unexplained reason, his sword was out, and as he fell, it found a spot between the blades of his armor and sliced him. He lost so much blood that he fell faint and just laid there, dazed, wondering if he should even get up again. The lion came back from a hunt, and found Yvain there, blood surrounding him, and assumed the worst. In a truly bizarre turn, it took the sword in its mouth, and found the perfect tree. If Yvain, the man he had sworn his loyalty to, was dead, what did that leave him, other than a full happy lion life that he would have otherwise had? He wedged the sword in between the branches of the tree, so that it lined up directly with his chest, jogged back a bit, and took off in a run toward the sword point. He was going to end his life along with his master. Yvain, hearing the lion running, sat up. And the lion, seeing Yvain out of the corner of its eye, swerved so soon that he barely avoided scratching himself on the sword point. The lion was elated, but Yvain lamented aloud as he bandaged himself up. He, apparently just now, realizes that it was his fault that he was in this current circumstance. He had turned his own joy into sorrow through his selfish choices. Cutting his self-flagellation short was a voice from the chapel. You know, the tiny chapel inexplicably placed next to the fountain. This voice said that he should really just shut up. His sorrow was her joy. He sought out the voice and found a woman locked in the shadowy chapel. He couldn't see her, and he was still wearing his armor, so she didn't know who he was. She was accused of treason, she said, and would be hanged or burned alive tomorrow if a knight didn't come to her aid and fight the three knights that accused her of treason. She only knows two knights in the whole world who would do that for her. One was Gawain, who she couldn't reach, and the other was Yvain, the knight because of whom she was locked away. Wait, what? Yvain said. She explained that when Yvain didn't return, her lady became angry with her. As it turns out, this is Lunette, the woman who gave Yvain the magic ring, the lady's servant. Lunette had enemies in the lady's court who took this as an opportunity. With Yvain having killed the castle's champion, and then promptly abandoning it, they were now in a worse situation than ever. Anyone could ride up and mess with the fountain, and no champion could ride out to challenge the person. They accused her of treason, since she had convinced the lady to marry Yvain, a decision that she still stands by. Knowing that she had a friend in Gawain, who was flirting with her hard when he stayed there with Arthur's court, she demanded a trial by combat. She had forty days to find a knight on her behalf, and she rode to King Arthur's court. There, she learned that Gawain was out trying to rescue the queen, which is part of the Lancelot story I'll go over later. But amongst all the brave knights, she couldn't find anyone to fight on her behalf. Yvain was nude and tearing into deer with his teeth, so he was unavailable. She rode back, and the days passed quickly. Yvain revealed himself, both to her anger and happiness. He said that he would defend her, as long as no one knows his identity. She resisted, but eventually agreed, and told him not to be late, because she'll be executed at noon if he's not there. Even though he had been sleeping out in the forest for two weeks, he decides that he needs to sleep in a bed tonight, and seeks out a castle. He actually backtracks, until he finds the castle both he and Kalogrenat had stayed at their first time through. But now the town up to the thick wall was gone. As he rode up, the people of the castle understandably said that the lion was definitely not allowed. Yvain assured him that the lion was totally cool and definitely would not attack or kill anyone unless Yvain told it to. They said, well, good enough for us, and let them both in. At dinner that night, everyone was laughing and pleasant until spontaneously breaking into tears. They assured Yvain that it was nothing and that he should just finish his dinner, but when they didn't stop crying, Yvain could see that it was obviously not nothing and they should just tell him. The baron of the castle had a beautiful daughter, one so beautiful that she captured the attention of a local giant and his gang of bandits, who decided that, yes, they would like to take her. They showed up at the city one day, demanding the baron's daughter. He understandably refused, and sent out his six sons, all knights, to disperse the giants. The giants killed two of them, took what they wanted from the town, and dragged the other four off into their lair, saying that they would be back in a few weeks with the knights to trade them for the daughter. Oh yes, and they burned down the rest of the town. That day was tomorrow. Unfortunately, all the knights and all the fighting men had been killed in the giants' first attack, and there was no one to defend the city against the giants and protect the daughter. Yvain sighed and said he would be glad to help out and fight the giants, as long as they came early, since he had a prior engagement. They were thrilled and showed him to his chamber, where Yvain and the lion slept. The next morning, he ate breakfast, went to mass, and killed some time until he couldn't wait any longer. He called the baron and his family to him, apologized profusely, but said he must leave. Our girl would be burned alive if he didn't help. The daughter of the baron broke down in tears. The giant had made it clear that he wouldn't take the maiden for himself, however that would work, but he would take her to be passed around among the thieves in his cave. Yvain was sad, but said he had to go. As if on cue, he heard screams from outside the castle. They went to the gate to see the giant walking up, surrounded by his thieves. The knights were in horrible shape. Barefoot and smelly, they were sitting atop worn-out horses, and an evil dwarf rode behind them, whipping them bloody. Yvain saw all this and nodded. They brought him his horse and began dressing him for battle. He asked the baron to lower the drawbridge for him to ride out, and then bring it back, because he might not be coming back. The baron agreed, and Yvain rode out. They all sat in terror, since they had watched many of their bravest fall to this giant when he destroyed their town. And though Yvain seemed honorable and highborn, he could very well end up like one of them. Unknown to Yvain, his lion bounded out after him. Yvain rode out and got straight to business, telling the giant that he didn't care for his idle chatter. The giant unslung his club, which had a huge spike in it, and sneered. Yvain rode hard and drew first blood, striking the giant in his chest with a lance. The giant glanced down. Rage replaced the surprise on his face, and he swung at Yvain, smashing into his armor and doubling him over on his horse. The horse put enough distance between Yvain and the giant for the knight to recover, and he drew his sword. When he got close enough to the giant, he sliced enough flesh from his cheek, and I quote, "...for grilling." and the giant swung back with enough force to lift Yvain off his horse and leave him clinging to the horse's neck as it galloped away. Sore and bleeding, Yvain remounted his horse when he was far enough away and turned to see the giant bounding toward him. A yellow blur flew past him, and he saw his lion jump up and bite into the giant's leg, tearing out skin, muscle, and nerves. The giant stopped to tear the lion off him, and this is where Yvain saw his opening. The giant flung the lion and tried to smash him with the club, but the lion jumped nimbly aside. The giant tried to raise his arm again, but found it limp. Yvain had ridden up beside him and, with one slice, separated his shoulder from his chest. He spun around, and Yvain's sword caught him in the stomach, not stopping until it was at the giant's throat. The giant tumbled over, dead. The thieves with the giant panicked and fled when the drawbridge to the castle dropped, and peasants began pouring out with anything they could use as weapons. The sons cheered, and the baron rode out, offering marriage to his daughter and, essentially, his title and land to Yvain for saving them. Yvain refused, and said there was somewhere else he had to be. The baron yelled to him as he rode off, asking who he was, and Yvain yelled back to tell everyone that they had been saved by the knight with the lion. When he approached the clearing with the chapel and the fountain, he saw the fire and feared the worst. As it turned out, it was only very nearly the worst, as Lunette's accusers were dragging her, bound, to throw her in. He ordered her accusers, the three knights, to let her go, but they refused, and said that he would have to face them if he wanted her to go free. Of course, his lion couldn't help, and he must order the lion to sit quietly. Because the lion had learned commands at this point, he happily obliges when Yvain orders this, but Yvain says he can't promise the lion won't jump in to help. They readied for battle, and though it was three to one, Yvain stood his ground at first, sending the lead accuser to the ground and taking on the other two brothers. When the oldest brother climbed back on his horse, though, Yvain was overmatched and began to flag. The lion quickly disobeyed his one and only command to stay out of it and got into the fight. He leapt up to the lead accuser and snatched him off his horse, tearing into his chainmail shirt like it was cotton, spreading the knight's entrails on the grass. The other two brothers, hearing their older brother's screams, abandon Yvain and began attacking the lion. Yvain, wounded and exhausted, not only from the current fight, but from fighting a giant earlier, still finds enough strength to fight. He lays into the knights, and with the lion, subdues them. The knights surrender to the Yvain's mercy, and Yvain, apparently not knowing the definition of the word mercy, orders them cast into the fire that they had prepared for lunette. Lunette is freed, and the lady of the castle runs over and hugs her. She had forgiven Lunette, realizing it wasn't her fault that Yvain left. But they were all still bound by Lunette blurting out that she wanted a trial by combat, so they all had to go through with it. I should mention that Yvain's face has been hidden by his armor, and no one, save Lunette who he talked to the previous night, knows it's him. The lady and Lunette walk over to thank the knight, and ask that he stays. The 21st century audience member in me wishes that Yvain was contrite and humble, revealing himself to be the man that had wronged her and begged her forgiveness with tears and trembling hands, wrapping up the story nicely here. He doesn't, though. His wife comes up to him and says that she's forever in his debt and that he should stay in the castle until his many wounds are healed. They then enter into an odd little interchange where the lady somehow doesn't realize Yvain is talking about her. He says he can't imagine staying in this place until his lady has ceased her anger against him. She says that anyone who would be angry with a knight of his renown sounds just terrible. He tells her not to question him about it, because it's a private matter, and she relents and just asks him his name, and he tells her that his name is the knight with a lion. She begs him to stay, but he insists that he can't, until he was certain that he possessed his lady's goodwill, to which she says that she hopes he finds it. She says goodbye, and he watches in sorrow as she departs. After the crowds disperse, Yvain looks down and sees his lion, too wounded to walk. The knight pulls out his presumably very large shield and packs it with moss to make it comfortable, then he pulls his lion onto it. He hooks the shield to the back of his horse and slowly pulls the lion to some huge manor they find, and he and his lion are healed. They continue on adventuring, and the knight with a lion's reputation as someone who helps those in need grows, and rightfully so. Now, there's a long story we won't go into, of two sisters whose father died and left them an inheritance. The older attempts to disinherit the younger, and it comes, once again, to trial by combat, where they both get knights to defend their rights, by the decree of King Arthur. The older sister asks Gawain, who agrees on the condition that she keep his involvement private, and the younger sister has 40 days to find her champion. She chooses this enigmatic knight with a lion, who's been helping out people in need. She sets off to find him she follows the trail of rumor and eventually finds evane in a forest now a changed man he agrees to help her without asking anything in return because she appears to be on the right side of the argument they set off back towards camelot together they pass by way of the castle of dire adventure which is perhaps the coolest castle name in the history of castles in something seemingly out of monty python people outside of the town are really mean saying that he shouldn't stay there and he should just continue on his way. He remarks about how rude this is, but keeps riding up. The closer he gets, the more people come out, and it's less of a mourning and more just outright insulting him. They say that he's going to be shamed and vilified in the castle, and that he's a foolish wretch, and that he should just turn back because no one wants him in the castle. He's perplexed by this, and a kindly old lady tells him that it's just a custom of the town to berate travelers as they pass by. Because it's just a horrible, horrible place, and no one should enter it, ever. He's more than welcome to come in, but he should really just not enter it. Really, turn around and leave. But he's welcome to come in, but he really shouldn't. Yvain despises that despite the whole town yelling at him to turn back, he and this maiden will in fact stay the night there. A porter meets him at the gate, where he says cheerfully, Come on in. You've arrived at a cursed place where you'll never be able to leave. And Yvain obliges, dismounts, and enters the town. There in the courtyard, he sees 300 women whose clothes are threadbare, sewing with strands of gold and silk, weeping, and obviously they're against their will. He demands to know what's going on, and finally finds someone who'll tell him. The king of the Isle of Maidens went out seeking adventure, and came upon this castle where he stayed the night. Unbeknownst to him... The castle was inhabited by two demons, which Christian Detroit says is definitely not made up because they were born of a woman and a demon, so that's how you know it's true. They threaten him, and he offers for his release to send 30 maidens each year for as long as the two demons live. They agree, and he ends up keeping his end of the bargain. And for over 10 years, he's been sending young women to this castle. Yvain nods and backs away quietly, not really assenting to the implicit request just hanging there in the air. He and his companion find their way into the main castle, and they meet a cheerful lord and his beautiful 16-year-old daughter. They make pleasant conversation and have dinner, where it's said that they have so many courses that the serving people get exhausted just carrying them out. They show Yvain to his room, where he sleeps undisturbed with the lion at his feet, as is now apparently their custom. The next day, after mass, Yvain told the lord that he would be leaving and the Lord told him that he was dreadfully sorry, but you see, we have this custom here where to leave, you have to fight two demons, and as it turns out, no one has ever left, so probably not a good idea to leave. He says he's compelled to uphold it, but hey, if Yvain can defeat the demons, then he can marry the Lord's daughter. Yvain makes it clear that he neither wants to marry the 16-year-old nor fight the demons, but the Lord is already in the process of calling the demons. The demons walk in, and we're given no other description other than that they're black and hideous. And they each have a spiked club and are armored everywhere, except on their head and below their knees. The lion begins to bristle and snarl, and they're adamant that the lion is not part of the fight and needs to be locked up. To which Yvain kind of awesomely replies that if they're so scared of the lion, then they can lock him up themselves. They make it clear that Yvain needs to fight them alone, without really giving him any justification. And he accepts this without question and locks the lion away in a small room. They then take it outside. Yvain is armored up and mounts his horse, and the battle begins. The demon's weapons must have been otherworldly, because it's said that Yvain's shield and helmet dissolve like ice, and he's immediately having a pretty bad time, being beaten mercilessly on both sides. The lion, locked away in the room, can hear this, and he knows that he needs to help his master. The underside of the door, as it turns out, is rotten, and the lion is able to claw at it until he can fit underneath it. Outside, Yvain is minutes from death when, like the last fight and the fight before it, the lion leaps up and pulls one demon off his horse. The other one immediately stops wailing on Yvain to go rescue his brother, and Yvain takes this advantage to slice the demon's head off. He and the lion dispatch the other demon, and there are absolutely no negative consequences to the lion intervening. Why Yvain didn't just sick the lion on them at first is beyond me, because he made it exceptionally clear that he did not want to fight. Everyone cheers, and the slaves are freed. The Lord is happy, though it's not like he was suffering to a large degree under the demons, what with his massive feasts. He makes good on his offer, and wants to give Yvain his castle, all his wealth, and his daughter. Yvain says, seriously, I told you I didn't want any of those things before the fight, and I still don't. Stop trying to pawn off your 16-year-old daughter on me. He does take some new armor, though, and rides off in the direction of Camelot with the younger sister to defend her inheritance. What follows is a drawn-out bit, where Yvain is disguised and Gawain is disguised, and they fight each other nearly to death, not knowing the other is their friend, in a bit of dramatic irony where we know this the whole time. They finally both collapse from exhaustion, and it's revealed. They embrace, and both cede the match. King Arthur takes this opportunity to rule in favor of the younger daughter, who he liked better the whole time. He says that either the older daughter can play nice and give the younger daughter her inheritance, or Arthur will declare that the older daughter's knight ceded the match and therefore the younger daughter will win it all, conveniently omitting that her knight also quit the match. If everyone's just going to go along with this faulty logic, you have to wonder why King Arthur didn't just rule in favor of the daughter he preferred at the outset, saving everyone all the trouble. Oh, and also the lion is locked up in a better room this time with a non-rotten door, to keep the good knight Gawain from being torn to pieces, as happened to Yvain's foes in the last three fights. With his identities of Yvain and the knight with the lion converging, he decides that it's finally time for his lady to take him back, and he knows just the way to do it. He rides to the fountain. Crouching next to it, he takes the pitcher and constantly scoops water from the fountain, pouring it on the emerald. A massive storm comes and stays. He decides that she will accept him back, or her forest and city will fall into hell. In the Lady City, the storm is raging with lightning striking buildings, water pooling in the streets, and wind pulling down structures. In the castle, the Lady is wringing her hands. They haven't had a night to ride out and defend the castle since Yvain left, and no one in the city will brave the storm let alone fight the knight that dared to challenge them. Lunette sees an opportunity. She says she knows of a knight who could go out and protect the fountain, and the lady knows this man, the knight of the lion. Lunette says that he won't come back without being reconciled with his lady. If, however, Lunette's lady would promise to help the knight of the lion become reconciled to his lady, then maybe the knight would help. The lady agrees, but Lunette says it would be better if she swore an oath before Lunette left and Lunette brings out a holy relic for her to swear on. She doesn't see a problem with this, and as soon as she finishes the oath, she's trapped. Now, a holy relic could be anything from the body part of a saint to something that the saint wore, to part of the holy cross, to anything associated with Jesus, but it's very, very serious to swear an oath on a holy relic because they've been imbued with holy properties and have been said to make miracles, and they're just very, very important. And what she did was she essentially... and I know this is obvious, but she said that she'd reconcile the Knight of the Lion with his lady and do everything in her power to do so, and not knowing that that was her and that the Knight of the Lion was Yvain. So essentially she's committing to do everything in her power to reconcile Yvain with herself, and she has sworn this on a holy relic. Lunette is thrilled, but hides it, and mounts a horse to ride out to find Yvain, wherever he is. She's in luck when, giving the fountain a wide berth to avoid whomever was creating the storm, she sees the lion. She rides out and finds Yvain, and tells him to come with her. She has solved all his problems. They ride up to the castle, with the skies clear, and see the lady waiting in the courtyard. She's thrilled that the knight with the lion could be found so easily, and confirms that, once again, she'll do everything in her power to make sure he's reconciled with his lady. Lunette is the one that drops the bomb. She's the knight with the lion's lady. The knight is her husband, Yvain, and she must be reconciled to him, or else she'll go back on her oath she swore on a holy relic. Her lady is livid. She says that she would rather have storms destroy all her lands than live one day with him, but she can't go back on her oath, so she's trapped with him. Yvain is very happy about this, and he apologizes for leaving her in the city defenseless and asks her to forgive him. She says that if she doesn't, she'll be guilty of perjury, so she has to. He ends up giving up his life of adventure and decides to stay with her this time. So ends the story of Yvain. He'll pop up in future King Arthur podcasts and play a role in the quest for the Holy Grail. Briefly, I'm a bit disappointed with how this story ended. Yvain's character arc was moving towards his redemption, but then he takes a hard left and decides to terrorize and trap his wife into taking him back. In some ways, I like how the story doesn't fit into the classic knight in shining armor trope, with the perfect pristine knight that always makes the right choices. Yvain, for all his despicableness, reflects something very human. He's just a man who makes what he perceives to be the best choice that he can. Though he does make costly mistakes, he does try to make them right, albeit in an almost equally despicable way. There are so much more to these stories than just the clear-cut good versus evil of the sanitized children's versions and the simplified Hollywood versions. I really hope you've enjoyed this first story. Next week on the show, it's a one-parter where I'll tell the real story of Aladdin. The story of a boy who uses his two genies in a reasonable, intelligent, and practical way until he falls in love. And then everything kind of goes off the rails. Before the Mythological Creature of the Week segment, I just want to say, if you've enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can find the show on iTunes by going to itunes.mythpodcast.com. Also, you can go to mythpodcast.com for transcripts, pictures, and extras for each episode. I've written a whole deconstruction of the Svivane story and talked about what I think of it on the website, so if you want to know that, uh, please check it out. Once again, it's mythpodcast.com, M-Y-T-H podcast.com. Okay, now on to the Mythological Creature of the Week. This is a weekly segment where I talk about a different mythological creature unrelated to the larger story. The creature this week is the Akaname from Japanese mythology. The name means filth licker, and it does exactly what it sounds like. It licks especially dirty bathrooms. It's a hunched creature about the size of a child or small adult, but it appears much smaller due to its terrible posture. It has a mop of greasy hair on its head, with its bright red skin as greasy as its hair. They're shy and afraid of humans, but it's considered the personification of the fear of using a dark bathroom late at night. At first, this seemed like a pretty helpful little guy cleaning up dirty bathrooms, and I probably would have appreciated it in college. But apparently they can spread disease and should be seen more like a cockroach or a rat, Unless, like a much creepier version of the Little Scrubbing Bubbles guys. Alright, that's the show this week. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next week on the Myths and Legends podcast.